Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I'm Jeff Howe. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for enjoying this week's presentation. If you are a subscriber, we greatly appreciate your support. If you're not, search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button. You get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and the Blitz whenever they drop the Blitz drops on Tuesday afternoons. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind as to do that. Now let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? It's fine and dandy. And the third member of our team, uh, he wears many hats, but for the purposes of this program, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. Fantastic, as always. As I, always. I just tried not to make eye contact with you. That's all I have to focus on. <laughs> That's what it'll just call, totally discombobulate you. <laughs> He's reading that script off the top of his forehead. You remember, yeah, I know, because uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff does it off the dome. People, it's not reading anything. Remember yeah. that bit Jamie Foxx did? I don't know. He had a comedy special, an HBO special. This is, mm-hmm. gosh, that'd be like 15, 20 years ago, right after Any Given Sunday came out. He was talking about how the first time he met Prince and he made the mistake <laughs> of looking in his eyes. I do remember this bit, yeah. It's kind of like how I treat your intro, Rod. I just don't make eye contact. Just stare off at that satellite dish. I just pick out something on a rooftop of a house Holiday or a tree horizon. or something. Yeah. Boom. That's why it always flows, man. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it, damn it. Uh, well, something that's not going to uh, be kept doing, that was a god-awful segue, but I'll try to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's not going to happen for anytime soon is uh, Moro Ojimo having media availabilities uh, on the 40 acres. Let's go ahead and start here. Yeah, uh, I like that. First off, everybody read, heard, saw all the comments he had last week. Yes. Uh, I mean, I can pull them up just to make sure we want to read the quotes. I can pull the quotes up. I think I have those. Uh, if you want, Rod, that's fine. I'm sure everybody listening to this yeah, podcast has read them. Every Longhorn fan knows exactly what he's saying. By this point. Uh Sark took issue with it, not necessarily with the message, but the forum in which said message was delivered oh. in front of the media. Okay. And the direct quote from Sark after today's post-practice availability when asked, well, is Morrow going to be punished for any of this? Quote, he won't be talking to you guys for a while. 
<laughs> meaning, meaning the media. That uh, great Chappelle skit when keeping it real goes wrong. Yeah, man. And that's basically what happened to Merle Ojemo. He was keeping it real. He, he was. was. It went wrong for him. That's all right. I mean, I don't think he's in big trouble. No, uh, no, no. Just won't be able to talk to you guys. And, Those are probably and, things the coaches want to hear. We are the ones who are the real losers here because in terms of insightful, thoughtful answers, he's the guy. Honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he gives you, I mean, he, he, he thinks about it. You can see him pondering. He's mm-hmm. smart. He's extremely intelligent. And, of course, he's the ultimate insider, and he's a leader on the team. So we, we lose out because now he, they have an excuse not to allow him to speak to the media. And you can ask him real questions, and you will get, as, as we know, real answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, if you look at this, it's sort of the prime example that, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the press conferences, and you always hear the term, like, say, coach speak. And this is exactly, like, say, the opposite and what you would assume you think these players maybe are thinking, yet a lot of the times they don't want to go out there and say them in front of the media because there's always been that culture of, you know, you keep it behind closed doors, keep in-house things in-house. And let's be real, Rod, you've been behind that burnt orange curtain. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times before you go to media, you're not necessarily told what to say and what not to say, but you're given kind of a – there's a, a rundown. There's a, yeah, a little touch. You got talking points, I, I imagine, that they give the guys on what they should reflect on. And most guys keep it short. No, they tell you that, mm-hmm. too. Keep it <sighs> short. So you guys are upset about, man, they don't give me Respect any the long, expensive. Yeah, they tell them to keep it short. And I will say this, that, you know, for for Texas, my experience, they you know, they don't they don't coach you specifically on topics and everything because they don't have, know what you guys are going to talk unless. Unless there's a, a specific topic out there, I'm sure that now they will tell the guys, hey, they might ask you about said this or whatever it is. Um, but for at least I find it interesting that, you know, Sark has always – he's gotten asked a couple of times by you guys about, you know, the culture or about how the players are feeling and whether the players buy in and all that kind of stuff. And his go-to answer always is, you got to ask the players. <laughs> yeah. Well, they ask the players. <laughs> and now I guess you can't ask the player, or he because he always had them coached up for he the company. Said that, right? name. He said that like four or five times. I remember yeah. I can hear it in my head. Well, you got to ask the players. I remember it was like, hey, have the players bought? Have the players tuned you out? Uh, have have they checked out on you? Like, oh, you got to ask the players. Uh, are the players bought in? How's the buy in? You got to ask the players. How's the culture on the team, coach? You got to ask the players. That's his go to answer, and it's a good answer. I like it. It's nice, it's political, because hey, got to ask the players. And even by the time you talk to the players, you forget all about that. And then if you do ask. And they're always like, great. It's awesome. It's awesome culture. It's amazing. It's the best culture I've ever been around. I mean, honestly, I don't even know how we ever won Close, that Closest right team I've ever been a part of. <laughs> Is there ever anything, anything critical about the culture? No, it's always awesome and the culture's amazing. It's great. And he was like, damn, we're five and seven. It's crazy. I mean, the culture's so damn good. And yet five and seven was the result. And yet you ask this young man about several issues pertaining to the culture, and he just gives you the real. And 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 what what came out from this young man to me, because I could see the I could see it on his face. You can see the shame and humiliation having to reveal these things. Mm-hmm. He's got pride. He doesn't want to do it. He's telling you lies like, yeah, man. It's almost for him, it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. He's like got to get it out. Session. He's got it. It's what it felt like. It looked like. He held session. He held court longer than Sark had. 
yeah. at his last press conference because he had to cause he had to get that out. Yeah, you guys were asking questions, but he was being really, really forthcoming. He that was that was toxic within him. Yeah. He had probably yes, of course he told his teammates. I think what's frustrating is that his teammates may have not been hearing him. It seems like that was to me part of the message, part of well, the underlying why he message did that, that. Yeah, I'm just kind of falling on deaf ears right now, but it'll change. It's gonna it's gonna turn. We got young guys coming in, but it, you know, it seems to me that no, we don't have enough guys like that. And I, I know it's frustration because I remember this and I tweeted this out after the comment said. There are two types of Texas football players, and and turns out there still are. You know, this hadn't changed from when I was there, and I think it was the case when Jerry Gray was there, and hell, I think it was the case way, way back. Coach Roy was dealing with this stuff. All of them, all right, they all had to deal with it. It's not semantics; it's a reason. It's It's a real thing. I think there are two types of Texas football players. I think there are the ones who came to play at Texas mm-hmm. and the ones that came to play for Texas. At and for are There the is a difference, and you can't be both. And I remember being in a locker room where I felt, oh, I think half of these guys, maybe the majority of these guys, they just came there to play at Texas. That's because Austin is really cool. Texas has – you're a superstar in this town, right? They, they treat you well. They treat you like a star. They treat you like a celebrity. Yes, they got a lot of fine women in this town. Damn, they get finer every year. Oh, now you got the festival, South by Southwest and ACL. It's a pop culture mecca here in Austin. Oh, man, name them like this. Yeah, you about to get paid too. Don't worry about that. Everybody going to get some office alignment. Oh, yeah, you get 50 G. You get 50 G. Everybody's going to get paid too. It's a great life. The Lost Dogs even talked about it. He said, man, it's really easy to get complacent here because it's such a good quality we're, of life. We're a pro sports town now. We got Austin FC. We got we got the PGA. We got F one. And you know who's a bigger star at Austin FC games? Texas football players. Mm-hmm. Why was there this past weekend? Yeah, banging like, the drums. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because you Tesla, the, Apple, like, yeah, all these Fortune right? five hundred companies. Yeah, it's exactly right. It, it, right now, it is truly one of the pop culture meccas of this country, and it is considered. Hey, it's got the highest rent and the highest uh, 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 real estate values in the state right here in Austin. Because all the money keeps moving, all the money wants to move here. So Trust all- me, I got my tax appraisal. I know. Everybody knows. <laughs> Everybody knows. I mean, I think the average home right now in Austin, in Travis County, is like six hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, like, what I, the hell? I is hear that? your all odds. Of us are like, what is happening? But either way, my point is that man, you come to play at Texas, you get benefits of all that. Everybody wants to treat you great. Everybody wants to. Everybody wants to praise you about how awesome you are, and that's usually the case. But <laughs> the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, but is the best teams that I've been on. And I, and I, I would honestly, I would predict that the best teams um, and that, that Texas will ever have and the best teams they have had in, in the past are teams that mostly consist of guys who want to play for Texas. Because it's like that old JFK quote, right? You know what I mean? Not ask, you know what I mean? Don't ask what, you know, your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I'm sure I screwed up the quote, but you get my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's the same thing. Like, what are you going to do for Texas? I know what Texas can do for you. We all know. Great education, name, image, and likeness. Great. You got, you got a great fan base and donor base that will take care of you. BMD, BMD, big money donors, shout out. All right, they'll take care of you in the future if you, if you take care of your business. All they got, yes, it's a great, it's a great life as a student here because you get to go out in downtown and enjoy yourself, go to festivals and songs and put on Instagram. Man, you are just the coolest person you know is you when you mm-hmm. go to play at Texas. But when you play for Texas, you spend more time in the film room, in the weight room, on that field because you understand the magnitude of what's at stake. You understand that you are... You are tasked with safeguarding the brand. And if you understand how big that brand is and you understand what it means to so many people, 
And when they have children, they put that brand on their child. When they get married, they have that brand playing in the background. When they die, it's on their tombstone. That brand, the University of Texas. And right now, it is mocked, shamed, and humiliated and hated when it should be loved, revered, respected, and feared. And it's because of you, you guys that came to play at Texas, that that's happening. Because 80% of the locker room, from what my man Ojemon was saying, y'all just came to play at Texas. Y'all don't even know what it means to play for Texas. You can change, by the way. I remember guys going from one to the other. But that 99 class that I came in, Corey Redden, even your Chris Sims, me, man, for Texas, for Texas. Yo, both games should have quit football years ago. For Texas. For Texas. And I will leave the brand better than I came. I will leave the brand better off than when I got here. It will be better off when I leave. Yeah, because And right now it is not. It is not. These guys leave the brand. They don't give a damn how they left the brand. They just leave it. Because they're not worried about what they did for the brand. They're worried about what the brand did for them. That's why the brand is suffering. Hell, they keep, they're just sucking it dry. <laughs> Man, it's sucking yeah. the drive. What can do for me? Oh, it's doing this for me, doing this for me, doing this for me, do for me, do for me, do for me, do for me. What you going to do for the brand? Have you ever thought about what it means to be a Longhorn? The name on the back and the name on the front. That's your family. Family name on the back, family on the front. The family on the front is much bigger than the family on the back. All around the world, fans, coaches, players that have all played. That's what the eyes of Texas really was. The idiots couldn't figure out how to frame the conversation no, 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 the Eyes of Texas ain't got nothing to do with the past and the race. The Eyes of Texas is every Longhorn that's ever went there, that's ever played there, every lifetime Longhorn. The eyes of all the past Longhorns, the present and the future, are all watching you on that field. That's what it means. They don't understand. So that's his frustration. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Because I had the same frustration. I've been covering this program for, for 10, 15 years now. And only the first two were really good. And if you look in the words and you know playing at or for sorry twenty eighteen you did so sorry when you play for Texas and it's the only thing is like when players have your entire football career but the time at Texas is you only get that one opportunity now you may be thinking long term for your future if you're talking about your entire career but it can already pass you up and be gone that fast that that time you don't realize how much more long-lasting it is than just those couple years that you get while you're there in your formative years. Yeah. Uh, I I don't have your frame of reference, Rod, in terms of I didn't play at Texas. I don't know what it's like to be in that locker room. But I do have your frame of reference as somebody who's covered this program for more than a decade at this point. And I'll be honest, man, and I let me preface this by saying I'm not knocking any of my colleagues in the media for asking these questions. We get open access in a press conference. You ask whatever the heck you want. You need to. It doesn't matter. But I cannot look myself in the mirror and feel like I did something worthwhile if I'm asking questions or writing about culture and the buy-in and the want to. Because, guys, I've been writing about it for a decade now, waiting for it to change. And like you said, Rod, every year we hear, oh, Best co- best chemistry we've ever had. <laughs> it's best team, closest team I've ever been a part of. Hardest working team I've ever been a part mm-hmm. of. They're answering those questions the way Coach wants you to. Exactly. It's just words, and yeah. I I under I I, I I can look at what Moro Ojimo said, and I'll be honest. 
Those of you listening can't see it. When Rod says that, and I'm sitting across from him, I see the pain in your face, Rod. I know how much it hurts. As as somebody that got called every name in the book because you only won 11 games a few years in a row. That was shame back then. <laughs> and finished in the top five in the AP poll. That was shame. Twice. Yeah. And beat a Nick Saban coach team in the Cotton Bowl in your last game. I cared. That was disappointment. Yeah. It was. That was a, yeah, that's okay. We yeah. underachieved. We left, at, left, we won 22 games my last two years, and we left knowing that we should have done more. We left the brand better than we found it, but we all left knowing we underachieved because yes. the standard should have been how we, we the standard was we we believed and and the fans believed that we could have won a national title at least played for one, and we didn't even play for hell we didn't win a Big Twelve title, so we underachieved. One of my favorite phrases: "Let some meat on that bone." Tons of it. Let a little meat on that. bone. Tons of it. And but getting back to the point, like I understand there was some weight. To what Moro Ojimo said. And and you could see in his face, right, that frustration you just expressed. He was expressing the same because I think I was talking to Keandre Coburn about this. And it's weird, like very rarely do you get anything closely resembling a one on one in these settings. But I I it was just kind of me, Coburn, and there might have been one or two other people hanging around yeah. because I think Bijan was doing his media at the same time and then Jordan Whittington came up. So it's just kind of Coburn and a couple of us chilling in the back. And I asked him about that old cliche line of, you know, when you're a freshman, you just want to play. And, you know, when you're a sophomore, you want to start. And when, you know, you're a junior, you start it starts shifting to more team-oriented goals. By the time you're a senior, man, you just want to win. You don't care about anything else. It's true. And I asked about that. He said, yeah. He's like, he's like because he's like, you think when you're a freshman. He's like, man, this is going to – I got all the time in the world. He's like, but once you get to the end and you realize your time is short. This is it. <laughs> so that sense of urgency naturally it it naturally manifests itself and you're, you're like, dude, I, I better get on it. Yep. If I want to leave something here worthwhile. That's really what the older guys are talking about. And, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. I I get that. Yep. But as far as talking about I'm I'll be honest with the listening audience, man. I am sick and tired of writing about culture and buy-in and all this other stuff that until it manifests itself in the results on the field, Agreed. it's just words. It is. It's just talking. Yep. I agree. And I listen. I'm I'm all for it because I listen. The optimism and the positivity, you know, that is part of what keeps bringing Longhorn fans back to the table, drinking that Kool Aid, drinking that Kool Aid. And the truth is, yes, we all hope and pray that it is Kool Aid, but oftentimes it's turned out to be Flavor Aid. And you got to add way too much sugar to flavor aid. Y'all have that bootleg Kool-Aid my mom brought it. Oh, boy, it's the same as Kool-Aid. No, it ain't, mama. No, it ain't. Okay? Quit trying to try to sell me that it's just as good as Kool-Aid because I know it ain't and you know it ain't. Too. That's why it costs so much cheaper. All right? It's cost so much less. So, anyway, my point is for low-end fans, you can drink the Kool-Aid. I'm not telling you not to. But just remember every time you get over the top about this team and you start to believe, you know, oh, man, they're going to win the Big 12 and Man, talking about top 10 team, top 20 team, they did go 5-7 and seven and lose to Kansas last year at home. And that was the biggest upset win in the history of the Big 12. Yeah. So, and against Texas football, I believe. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, point exactly. spread-wise. Yeah. Yeah. So, it just, <laughs> just keep that in mind. So, they got a long way to go. They may, Yes, of course, they're making progress. But there is a long way to go to dig yourself out of the hole that you are in. And some people say, oh, man, look at Baylor. Look what Baylor's done. Baylor was able to win uh, Big 12 in his second year with Dave Aranda. Yeah, but mm-hmm. Baylor's been able to successfully reinvent themselves as a football program three different times while Texas has been in the ish. 
style, mm-hmm. right? While, Just been in a, a while Texas has been a fuster cluck, they've reinvented themselves three times. Art Browse, Matt Rule, and now Dave Aranda. So we can't really... That's not an example for Texas to throw out there as something Texas can achieve realistically because there are more challenges right now for Texas than even Baylor had. You're like, that's crazy. Just because we've been covering the program for a long time, just all the things, different things that are adding up. We all know, and you guys listening agree, there is no logical, rational reason for Texas to be this bad for this long. No, no. It makes no sense at all. We all agree. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense at all for them to be this dysfunctional for this long. There's no excuse for it. Yeah. You had the greatest offseason ever for a five and seven team. Why? Because you should never be five and seven. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've lost a lot of money on thinking Texas will be coming back. You got no excuse to be this bad. Yeah, you can have a down period. Come on, man. You've had one double digit one season. Now we're going on to what, 10, 11 years? You 11 were years. at, you had a. Years, right? Last one was 2009, then 2018. Mm-hmm. Those are the last two. You had, uh, okay. you know, in, in my in my lifetime, uh, you had the 14-season gap between that 83 team with Fred Akers that was probably, with all due respect to Craig Curry, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, probably a, a muffed punt against Georgia in the Cotton Bowl away from winning a national championship with maybe the best defense in school history. Yeah. 14 seasons between that and the 98 season with Mac, yeah. And that's viewed as – Maybe the longest sustained, other than you probably have to go back to the Dana the Dana Bible years in like the 30s. Pre-royal. When yeah. when Adolf Hitler was still roaming this earth, <laughs> that was the last time before then Texas had a prolonged struggle, a decade-plus struggle like that one. This one's worse. This one's worse. Yeah, this one's worse because you have more resources. The you most have, you have fewer excuses, exactly. Because right? the, the excuse at the time, the excuse at the time was, yeah. you got to think about it, it's the mid '80s, it's the Wild West in recruiting. Everybody cheating, and Texas just they're on, they're not gonna. Everybody was playing the game to an extent back then, yeah. But you're not gonna get into it at the level. Let's face it, SMU mm-hmm. and Texas A and M and all the other schools. You can just go down the list. You just weren't you weren't going to do that. Texas was doing it, but they weren't doing it as well as everybody. Because they were dig. It's easier to <laughs> Texas dig Texas wasn't in. doing it institutionally as a program. Texas just had BMDs that were trying to help the program, which BMDs always do. Shout out. And at the time, Texas right, right, was right. One SMU of the, was an institutional, like literally the university and the program. Were the killed. governor of Texas was in on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a different call level. what it is. Yeah, that's a different level. Yeah, yeah. that's death penalty. Death and penalty. There were people actually yeah. caring to maybe look around at one or two big schools back then. Not you could get away when you were a smaller school. Nobody had the eyeballs, the big meat. That's why SMU got caught, only because right. they happened to be in a big, the big metroplex market. where you had market. main right. media coming yeah. in covering them. If you haven't seen The Pony Excess 30 for 30, it's tremendous. Yeah, you got to watch it. They talk watch it. all the all-time great ones. Uh, but t- there was an excuse Mickey back Mouse then, right? There, w- there was an excuse back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they made, Texas, quite frankly, made some coaching changes that didn't pan out. David Dave McWilliams, John Makovic, uh, until they hit the jackpot with Mac. And – when Matt came in, hey, Matt won conference. Title. That's what I said. This one's worse. It was this was worse yeah, yeah, because yeah. you had that excuse. Yeah. Yeah. David David McWilliams won a Southwest Conference championship, but if you you can go back, you can go back. Going in quite similar. You can you throw it throw it in your Google throw it in your Google machine. You can go back that 1990 season leading up to the Cotton Bowl against Miami. You can find New York Times articles or Michael Wilbon in the Washington Post talking about hey, there is a path. For Texas, if they beat Miami to maybe win the national championship. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So you had that 90 season, that shocked the nation yeah, season. Shocked the nation. 
John Makovic won two conference championships. Two of them. Two. The last Southwest Conference Championship and the first Big 12 title. Well, and then it's two. just like That's wild, him and Herman that both played for in. the Big 12 title. And then the next year following, they were fired. And Mac Te- well, won technically, three? he won. Te- Makovic technically won three, but '94 was like. So Mac won. Mac and Makovic won as many. They won the same amount of conference titles. Uh, okay, let, let's. Hey, I, I, so I here at yeah, Texas. well, let's. <laughs> let's put a, a co-title. Let's put an asterisk. Had you, you had a co-title according to the same rules. If we're giving Makovic '94, y'all were co-titleists of the Big 12 South and lost the. Uh, we don't even No, that. Mac that's, had that's Mac, Mac won two in '05 and '09. And Makovic only won one. Makovic won. Makovic won two conference titles. You can legitimately say ninety four. He won as many as Matt. Ninety four. A and M was on probation, and you had like six a six way tie or whatever. Yeah, so had was. a tie. Mac won yeah. it cleanly twice. Makovic had one yeah. and one tie. Yeah. Okay. Well, still, but the point is, like you're talking about the 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 drought of dysfunction and yes. desperation. Obviously, this winning is worse. titles break that one's up. Worse. This is way worse because yeah, you do have Tom Herman's ten plus win, see double digit win season, but you didn't win a title. No, nope. and you, you need a four, you needed a fourteen game season to get the ten wins. Let's yeah. not forget that. Yeah, so that that's your well, so you got one double digit win season and last with thirteen seasons at twenty two, twelve, 12 it, seasons, too. and you had four the thirteen before basically with two from McAvick and two from Mac. 09 back to 94, so 15, 16 seasons. But uh, all this gets remedied. All this gets remedied. We're talking about culture, droughts, all this gets remedied. If one thing happens, one thing happens. Rod, you said this many years ago. Go through college football history and just go look at the examples. If you're a blue blood and you hire the right guy, it doesn't take you long to figure out if you did or not. No, you're right. It doesn't take long. Did it take long to figure out Mac Brown was the right guy for the Texas job? No. I, mid, I think people were middle to late that season were like, he's the guy. Yeah, like eight games in. When, when Texas went in Nebraska, I'll tell, that was That's it. when it was. When Texas went into Nebraska and stopped that win streak and they went on that run, I think everybody at that point realized, all right, maybe this is the well, guy. We got to ask the Sooners when they knew Bob Stoops was the guy. He won national title in his second year. So when did you know yeah. in the first year? Did you know somewhere in the Honestly, first Honestly, like they – that that well, that OU team, that yeah. OU team, they had so many close calls. Remember, Rod, they were up they were up on you at 17-0? Yeah, that was the dumbest script. The dumbest script game. game? When, uh, yeah, Mike Lee's dropped the dumbest script, and we fell for it, idiots. And a very and a, a and a season, <laughs> honestly. Tom Herman found it. <laughs> <laughs> Not lying. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so it's Tom Herman's fault. We're down. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I mean, just had to share the details. Be technical just about it, yeah. yeah. Tom Herman and Oscar Giles found it and gave it to Bull Reese. <laughs> <laughs> fell for the okie doke. Oscar Giles still not coaching, is he? Is Oscar Jones coaching? He's at Wyoming. Okay. He's got hired at Wyoming. Oh, yeah. so I can't, hadn't heard wow, where Nayor came from, eh? Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Random place. Okay. Herman's still analyst for the Bears? Nah, Matt Nagy got fired, so I, I don't, think don't so. know. Well, he's got checks coming in the mail. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. He's big yeah. money. <laughs> he's get his money. Um, crap. Where? Damn it. Sorry, now Herman I got totally dysfunctional. The Tom Herman line got me off my line of thinking. Um, no, Oscar Giles, uh, Bob Stoops. Uh, oh yeah, yeah Bob Stoops, Oklahoma. Great okay, way to okay, work okay, it okay. back. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Smart man. So, if you go back and you know what, let me yeah. the power of Google. No, because I up, think because oh. Pete Carroll, right? I think I'm just going back to all that. The, going to blue blood examples, and they found that really quickly. So even you know with Pete Carroll at USC, you know I I think you know that first year, I bet they had one of those. 
you know, those moments, right? You have that moment where you go, oh, no, this guy can he, he can get it done. I mean, he, if you he look at the national title, he's he's capable if he has all the pieces in place to win a national title. Lohan fans didn't have that moment with Sark last year. Um, no. You know, that if it all goes right, this guy could be the guy. Um, the hope is that this year you have one of those moments. Yeah, and and I think where those big were, game or whatever those two situations you mentioned where they're so similar, USC arguably was coming off of maybe similar what te- where Texas is now, one of the longest sustained periods of yeah, just ineptitude. You had one uh, after I mean right before. Well, you had John. So you had John Robinson. They won the national title in '79, and then you went. Uh, was it Ted Toner and then Larry Smith to John Robinson again, wow. and then yeah and to Paul, Paul to Paul Hackett. You got a great memory because there's no way I would have got that. <laughs> and then yeah. and then Oklahoma. Really, what you what you were recovering from was at the end of the Barry Switzer era. You were recovering from probation. Yeah, because right. Gary Gibbs was kind of the guy that all right, we know we're going to take our lumps. But, you know, is an in-house guy. Yeah. Trust him. And then they had the one-year Howard Schnellenberger thing, which man, you want to get OU fans real. <laughs> you want to get OU fan real OU fans angry? Just bring up the name Howard Schnellenberger. There ain't a lot of warm fuzzies as good as he was in Miami. Ain't a lot of warm fuzzy feelings OU fans have for Howard Schnellenberger. Uh, and then you had that run with John Blake. So that was just a run of ineptitude. I remember there was a game, a John Blake coach game, or maybe it was Schnellenberger. We're like. They're losing to Nebraska like thirty-seven nothing, and like the wheels fell off the schooner like legitimately, and it's <laughs> like, and it's like, man, like is that, is that rock? That's gotta be rock bottom for OU. But then they hire Bob Stoops, and you look at Bob Stoops' first year, Rod, uh, kind of not all that different from Sark with the results: four-point loss, uh, four-point loss at Notre Dame. They lose the Texas game by ten, where they were up seventeen nothing. Fourteen-point loss at Colorado, but back in nineteen ninety-nine. Losing at Colorado well, actually team. meant something. Yeah. Uh, Ten-point loss at Tech, and then they had a two-point loss to Ole Miss and Deuce McAllister in their bowl game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, exit and, and you know, one thing about Bob Stoops, you know, he's, he's a hell of a coach, obviously. Um, but it, his, it's crazy that one of his best coaching jobs, if not his best coaching job, winning a national title in the second year, now with his guys. Yeah, and you know what I mean, not with his guys. It's Those are John Blake's guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty John Blake's group. And then when he gets all of his guys, he gets close, but is never able to get it done. So weird, man. Um, that's why you just can't, you never know when you gotta you know group. Yeah, you gotta maximize and be able to as a coach go all in because hell, you may not get another shot. Damn, like you look, go look at Pete Carroll's first year at USC. Oh, they started like four, two and five. A four point loss to K State, which at the time K State was K- number State. twelve in the country yeah. in two thousand one. Uh, Rod, no, Rod, you played against the O2 team. That's right. Uh, Two-point loss to Oregon on the road. Oregon was seventh in the country. Uh, Five-point loss to Stanford. Three-point loss to Washington. That O1 Washington team, they were at – Rod, you played that against mm-hmm. that team in the, in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah. Jeremy Stevens and Reggie Williams. Yeah. Uh, you had a – where's my math here? Nine-point loss at Notre Dame. Four-point loss against Utah. So just a bunch of single-digit, one-possession – Right there. Losses. Yeah, you're right there. You what, two, what was that record? They were two and five to start that. Game. They were six and six. Six and six. Yeah, and you're right around there. And Sark was there. That was his first year coaching as a D1, I guess, QB coach. And Bob it was Bob Stoops' first year at OU. They were seven and five. Yeah, and that's because he and he had Leach on that staff, and then Leach leaves. I believe his second year. Leach, Leach was, was only there one year. Yep. Yeah, Leach was only took the tech job. Then, uh, was it Mangino that takes over? Or Mangino. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's why the, the coaching, you know, tweaks are big, too, for Sark. Um, defensively, we just got to figure out, or Sark's got to figure out exactly how long the the leash is, if you will, with PK. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when do you decide? Because obviously you decide to leave everything in place now. All you added was the special assistant to the head coach if there isn't significant improvement. Because right now there's going personnel upgrades, which I agree with. Personnel upgrades mm-hmm. I think will help Texas. Uh, but if that's not enough, yeah. and it may not be enough considering how bad they were, um, do you think that you need to – Make a move, and I wonder if the move is Gary Patterson. Because I, I right now, I think no, the offense sure. is going to be great. Because last year the offense was pretty damn spectacular too. It just it it would get it's weird that it was stall at the strangest times. And most of those times in the second half after the Texas has already built a lead. But I think with a you know a mature Bijan Robinson upgrades across the board, I think the offense is going to be fine. If Texas is going to lose games this year, it's going to be defense and the offensive line is going to lose them games. Yeah, and, and you I won't be able to rely on special teams the way you did last year. That's ding ding ding, brother, because you lost your kicker and your punter and your long snapper and your snapper. Great point. Yep, yeah, that's what I'm saying exactly right. So don't be don't be don't be too moderate in your approach. Sark, you got to be an extremist, meaning go win the game with offense because you cannot depend on your defense and special teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with the special teams aspect, it seems like at least like the the core of the special teams, the things you don't necessarily pay attention to, which are the kickers and the punters, it may actually be able to be sustainable, just your return teams, your block teams and all that. And this, it at least seems as if there's more specialists now, like getting a kicker to come in and actually be, perform well seems to be something that is more prevalent in than it was, say, two decades ago. There weren't as many specialists along those lines. So if you're Texas, hopefully you're able to – fill those holes and at least be average to above average. The main thing is is the defense, like you said, because you already have the writing on the wall when you see a guy like Gary Patterson be hired to be put in there, and you already know that PK has a situation and didn't play out how you wished it would, looked like the fit wasn't what you thought it would be. In addition to that, the self-awareness with what not only was his talent but in inside of his conference, everything didn't align. So unless there's an exact 180, I think you almost had to go out in front of it and get something the way you had a Robinson or the way we've seen in previous years at Texas, there being a safety net even back to like the Dick Tomey days. Like there's always been somebody – added in those scenarios when you're coming off of a bad situation the other only other one would be like getting rid of McDuff and keeping you know bringing in Muschamp in after those seven years so when I saw Patterson hired you sort of already know like well if the fit hits the shan you have a guy that's been a D1 coordinator and really good at it that you might be able to throw in as a problem solver that's just a worst case scenario but you got to think that's sort of probably one of the things that's went through the coach's mind see I this could be just me being really naive or just not wanting to replay the Manny Diaz, Greg Robinson year. <laughs> I don't think that's why Gary Patterson's at Texas. I don't think he's in the Greg Robinson role where well, maybe things go bad. There, but just I, I, just to clarify what I meant, it's another box to check. As no, yeah, no, I, I understand. He's a good analyst and has this just. I understand what you're saying, Matt, Yeah, but. I don't think Gary Patterson wants to be a coordinator right now for Texas or anybody. Yeah, probably. Not. We we talked about it like with this role, Rod. I think I don't know if we talked about it on air or off air, but like you look at kind of what he's doing. It's like it's basically he wants to be like an NFL coach without coaching in the NFL. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wants Court Blanche to be able to roam and put his yeah expertise or apply his expertise wherever he wants yeah. at that given time. I don't. I. I. I you because know, I he had opportunities. It. He had. If if Gary Patterson wanted to be a Power Five coordinator, oh, yeah. at, at a at a blue blood school, mm-hmm. he had opportunities to do so. 
Yeah. For sure. I agree with that, that he didn't no want to do that. Because there this are openings in State College, wants. Pennsylvania, and yep, Stillwater, Oklahoma, in yep. Columbus, Ohio. And no, I'm not saying Oklahoma State's a blue blood on the level of Ohio State and Penn State, but there were opportunities presented to Gary Patterson, and this is what he wanted. Because yep. I don't think he wants to be a coordinator right now. Uh, no, I agree with that. Uh, I understand what Matt's saying, I, and I agree with you. I don't think he wants to be a coordinator, uh, but I, I would have, and like I said, I've heard he's roaming around doing different things, and that's great. Obviously, it's going to help the program. We just don't know how to really quantify that just yet. And it is pretty clear that Sark could use some help, right, some counsel, uh, just about yeah. running the overall program, whether it be about, you know, um, the way you control the message, <laughs> things this like conference. that, building the culture, the the familiarity with the conference, all those different things. I would have put him almost in special projects and given him a special project to figure out. I don't know if that is a part of it. Instead of having him kind of roam aimlessly about just <laughs> helping whoever he wants to help, like I said that will help, but I'd rather be able to check off like, oh, had him, had him do that. That's great. Because I know he's got a list of ish <laughs> that he's gone through after yeah. watching all the film and evaluating the program at every level and going, we got to fix this, 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 and this. And then I'm sure he's prioritized all those things. And I would give that guy a special project to be like, man, I, I need to fix this, but I have so much other stuff to do. Let Gary Patterson handle that yep. as your special assistant. And right now I just think he's got roaming around. And I think Sark is being pulled in a ton of different directions because I don't know if he is using Gary Patterson, what I think would be the most constructive way to do it. Um, your list. Your list, sir. <laughs> I, know what you're, I know you got one. If you don't, bigger problem. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about defense, though. And, Rod, you talk about personnel. High up and, on the and, list. And that might be number two on this list. Defensive personnel <laughs> is, is where you can upgrade, clearly, from last year. Yeah. And I think we're at the point in spring ball – you know, you're, we're coming down the stretch. We're, what, a week and a half away from the spring game. Mm-hmm. You're at the point now, okay, if I start hearing about guys in practice that are still having good springs at this point, then, okay, now I'm willing to buy that this guy's improved. Does this mean that – I think this is where people get practice reports and, and practice intel that we report. You, you get it misconstrued, right? Because reporting that somebody is having a good practice or a good run of practices – or is emerging as a starter at this position shouldn't be interpreted as well. This guy's going to be an All American now. <laughs> no, and I think people that's that we talk about no, drinking the Kool Aid. There's You're a right. difference between how processing information Great and point. just taking it to a level where it was never intended to go. And the semantics of what entails a good practice and that's also an arbitrary judgment by and who person. they're playing against too. If they win yeah. five and seven, they mean they're bad all around. So they may just doing that to other bad players. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, that, that it's, added like it's, great. Yes, it's great. Yeah, but that guy's playing against And, and it's like good. Sark mentioned in the press conference today, going back to the scrimmage on Saturday. He's like, you know, they didn't run the ball as well as he wanted to. They had problems with the ball. Flip side of that is, okay, maybe our linebackers run fits were pretty good. Maybe our interior D line did a really good job of stopping the run and and forcing us and forcing the issue that didn't allow us to run the football cleanly like we wanted to. Could be. Likewise, you praise Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card for being around seventy percent completion percentage in the scrimmage with no turnovers and clean game for both guys. The flip side of that is okay. What's going on in the secondary? You were contesting more balls. Why are we? Yeah. Why? Why are we? Why are we not knocking balls on the ground? Why are we not forcing turnovers? Exactly. Why, why is the pass rush not forcing errant throws? Why yeah. were they so five it's just, for nine on deep balls? It's just yeah. kind of this zero sum game in spring spring ball where it's like, that. you know, it's almost like plugging the 
you know, plugging the, the leaks in the boat. It's like, oh, yeah, we got this one. Nope, you got this one over here. Now you plug it and you got one no, over here. No, spring ball is always a bad news to the good news and always a good news to the bad news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, man, the old line sucks today. Mm-hmm. Well, good news. You know what I mean? So it should be that, it should be that meme of uh, Alonzo Morning on the bench. Mm-hmm. Where he <laughs> initially mm-hmm. sat about it. He goes, well, actually, that's pretty good. That's Wandering spring, that's one second. Right. That's I love football that in a nutshell. <laughs> love that. No, it is. But uh, anyway, getting back to personnel, you're at the point where, again, at this point, if guys are having good practices, you feel like, okay, I'll buy it. Uh, Jalen Ford, a linebacker. Might be having the best spring of anybody on defense. Sounds like you've got a really good rotation figured out on your in terms of who your top three interior D line are, D linemen are with Alfred Collins, mm-hmm. Byron Murphy, and Devondre Sweat. I like that. And they like that three man front, I yeah. think, too. Ovia yeah. Gofu has been head and shoulders apparently better than the edge guys. Baron Sorrell has flashed. Justice Finkley has flashed, but Ovi, as you would expect from a the the only seasoned guy in that room. Rod, you talk about a veteran player. At some point, you kind of stop get having that, bad practices. Yeah, you get that baseline. Yeah, of, uh, consistency. and I think I think Ovi's got that baseline right now. Uh, the second, I'm just I'm continually intrigued by the secondary because you managed to cross train some guys. You manufactured a little depth. Now we get confirmation of the news this morning that Jalen Gilbo is not with the team right now, suspended for violation of team rules, which hurts your depth at corner. Mm-hmm. But. Thankfully, you were able to flip Terrence Brooks from Ohio State, and you got Ryan Watts to transfer from Ohio State. You still got Deshaun Jamison there, so you still got you still got some bodies there. But you know, Jade Barron moving to nickels allowed you to and move Anthony Cook too. to safety, and, and, was, and we know Cook, Cook can play corner. So you've been able to manufacture yeah. some depth in the secondary. Now, where am I going with all this? To your point about PK and how short the leash is, man, I just think as long as you're not. I think if you can, if they can identify in, in total defense rankings, yards per play, you can look at those numbers certainly and judge improvement that mm-hmm. way. But I think if you, if we get to the middle of the year, Rod, and you can identify, let's say, three things, give or take one, that this defense does above average or better, mm-hmm. because we agree last year they didn't do anything really at an above average level. No, not really. No, they even they, even early they were forcing turnovers, and that fell off a cliff. Fell off, yeah. I think if they can just find a couple things that they can be good at, that, that, that a couple of staples that they can hang their hat on and say, you know what, we might give up a lot of pass yards, but we're a pretty good third down defense, mm-hmm. or we're a pretty good red zone defense. We're we're good at taking the ball away. Whatever it is, just figure out something. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you generate a bunch of sacks and you're one of the Big 12 sack leaders, whatever it is. I just think as long as you can see improvement, and improvement to me is, are there things, are there a few staples of this defense where you can say, yeah, they're they're good doing whatever. Yeah. They're good at that. What's their, uh, they, they can hang their hat on. Yeah. Um, what becomes their identity as a defense. You know, I, I think it's going to be tough. For, for, to project, right, or predict like, based on the personnel uh, and based on the scheme that we watched last year, you know what, I can I can really see this team being, um, you know, being really good or elite in this category. What I will say that I like about the defense, and the troubling thing is, because I was watching uh, some more film about the defense actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, the troubling thing is for the defense, I think this is where, uh, you know, Matt's theory about GP could come in, Gary Patterson, special assistant, and then what Sark could have been thinking too. If you go back and watch them schematically, uh, there weren't there wasn't a huge 
adjustment or some type of counter for PK. He, you know, other than trying different personnel, which he did and different and going to forty personnel at one point with you know four linebackers on the field, um, he really didn't. There was not anything schematically he did to become more aggressive. The blitz rate didn't go up. There were not more twists and stunts. And I'm hearing now uh, from you guys over at Horns twenty four seven. That's an emphasis, right? More mm-hmm. stunts and twists up front to get guys free to get you more advantageous matchups up front. Uh, but that's stuff that should have been happening last year. So I think. I think the lack of creativity uh, in his approach to solve the problem probably concerns Sark a little bit. And I got to say, Sark probably should be spending more time in that defensive meeting room and offering up ways to attack the defense or at least offering up counters and suggestions to help PK out. Because, yeah, just watching it, PK at one point, I mean, other than changing out the personnel, and like I said, going to 40, can you guys think of something he did differently? All the tendencies remain pretty much the same defensively which just simplifies the process for the opponent yeah so i, I like i said i, I would just win chaos i'm like yeah. all right we're bad you're gonna get beat anyway so you know what you better you better hold on to your butts because i'm coming after you like i'm coming blitzing from all over the angles mm-hmm. twists and stunts yeah. all over i'm gonna so cause chaos so chaos know. will probably benefit me more than benefit the offense so we're just going for chaos right. theory. We, yeah. there was none of that but I, what, what i do like is that my central nervous system theory that i've thrown out there plenty of times and like I said, I don't know if this is where they're going, but it just makes sense if you just say football theorists. That should be much better next year. You talked about the interior D-line, right, which are Alfred Collins and who else is in that group? Murphy Col- and Murphy Sweat. Murphy and Sweat, right? So You still got looks, Coburn. You still, still got Coburn thrown in there. You can throw him in there too. Uh, hell, I don't Broughton. Broughton is another guy, right? So you're going to be really strong. You should be really strong in the interior D-line. Jalen Ford. Upgrade at inside linebacker, off ball linebacker, and we all expect more of you on Overshawn to just continue to get better. That's By all, the way, especially with a, 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 a an off season with the same damn coach for the first time, and finally an off season actually at the linebacker position to work. Jalen Ford once again proves my theory when, when Morgan Scaly and that Utah defensive staff when they offer a kid from Texas. Double back on him because you probably missed something. Yeah, that's like Kingsbury quarterbacks and yeah, some certain like the yeah. like. Oh, did he offer him? You know what? Let's just, just offer him. I don't yes. give a damn. We trust yeah. that guy. Offer him. Yeah, uh, keep digging that. into it, but just offer him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Matt Rule has some of those too. I was trying to Matt Rule theory about that. There's some guys in Matt Rule's office. Today, Baron. Today, Baron was Today a Matt Rule. Like speaking of central nervous system theory, I think you know Anthony Cook was great last year, but you move him over to to, to safety, which is great because he can cover. You might be able to cover now with your safety. I mean, literally, even down there, just happen. No, just cover the slot. That's what that's what Texas did when I was here, and we ate, we were great because we could match up with the air raid across the board because our safeties were Nathan Basher and Ahmad Brooks. Yeah. yeah, good luck trying to get a matchup advantage. They're just corners out there that can tackle really well in the open space. So you got that advantage now at the safety position because you moved Keaton Crawford. Yeah, right? And he said, what did he want at the safety position? He wanted more speed. That's what Keaton Crawford's supposed to do. Anthony Cook's supposed to bring the football IQ up. Also something that Sark talked about last year. We need more. We need a higher football IQ. So that's going to increase in your foot in your central nervous system. Also, I think Jalen Ford overall is an upgrade. Should get better also with DeMarvion Overshone. So your football IQ is going to increase. And also you're going to be faster in, at the central nervous system, right? the, the basic of the defense, right up the gut, right up the center at, at all three levels. I think that's going to help. And on the outside, edges and corner, you're going to have guys that can now win one-on-ones. That is a key to building a great defense on the edges, right, on the outside. you got to have guys that can, corners that can win one-on-ones and man-to-man, and you got to have defensive ends that can win one-on-one blocking assignments or that can demand a double team. If you build a defense like that, 
you're, there's a really good chance your defense is going to be sound and it's going to be it's going to be a, a a defense that's kind of fundamentally stable. And that's why, like you know, for the past few, for years, you've talked about uh, Kina and the positionless aspect that he viewed DBs and how mm-hmm. far ahead of his time that he was because it was that simple nature that you have all players with the ability to cover because you know how the way that you talked about how he was so great of a coach because he knew that when putting into a uncomfortable situation he wanted to have guys that were able to read react and still be able Mm. to do the job because he has trust in their individual cover skills and it's something that i brought up a few weeks ago but it's the same way that the nba switched to the switchability on defense that you don't want to have that one guy that has slow feet and can't move laterally Mm -hmm. you're going to get attacked over and over and over again you can watch it tonight when the clippers play the timberwolves and you have a team that just is all these different guys that are six seven with seven foot wingspans that can move their feet and that can cover anybody so when the offense engineers the mismatch you still are fine. And that's what Texas needs and what Texas is looking at when you are pointing out these safeties that have corner skills and that have been ability to corner. It's the same reason why a guy like Quandre Diggs, we talked about him a month or two ago, how he's been so good at the safety. But it's because then your defense doesn't have a weakness because as a good D coordinator, you know there are going to be times when you are going to be put in a vulnerable situation. And it's not going to play out the way that you think it's going to play out. Exactly right. And when this happens – you need to have a guy safe. that can yeah. cover. And they, in the Big <laughs> exactly 12, right. it's so big. And in mm-hmm. the NBA, it's the same thing with these switching defenses. And you'll hear for the next two months, people talk about the switchability of the Raptors or of the Clippers. And yep. these are always the teams that overexceed expectations because they can be malleable to the game in those bad situations. It's why Kevin Durant at center is like the ultimate chess piece and why the Warriors mm-hmm. were so good with him, why he can be a matchup nightmare for anybody because he can cover any position. And those are the same things that DBs and monitored football with the cover skills when you have a safety in your nickel that it doesn't matter who you engineer to be the mismatch, I trust my guy can cover well, that's stuff. why. That's why you know Gary Patterson, the special assistant, needs to step up too, right? And you talk mm-hmm. about the familiarity with the conference, the two best defenses in the Big 12 this year, Oklahoma State and Baylor were both built on the positionless principle. Mm-hmm. Jalen Petrie right now telling people, oh, I played the star position. It's a lot. I heard him today on NFL Network. Yeah, yeah it's a high, it's a hybrid linebacker slash safety. They were like, we love that. And I'm like, yeah, everybody loves that. Yeah. It's a hybrid. <laughs> yes. You know, back then he was a tweeter. And I hope the damn Cowboys pick Jalen Petrie. Because I'm a big Jalen Petrie fan. I'm sure we all are. Um, but I hope I hope Maurice Blackwell, who Sark said is one of the best tacklers on the team, I hope Maurice Blackwell ends up being that PK is Jalen Petrie. Exactly, right? Exactly. You know what I mean? Because you look at it, and, and those, I give Mike Gundy credit. My football when, pants get stirred, Rod, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, but give Mike Gundy credit, who's been in this league a long time, who saw it, and give Matt Rule credit, who just came in as, you know, kind of a novice on the outside looking in and said, hey, we need something that's going to set us apart in this league. They got to the very same point from very different paths, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Gundy was looking at the league saying, like, you always talk about, what's your term, right? It's a hybrid spread league. This ain't no... There's no air raid league no more, man. This is hybrid spread. These mm-hmm. fools are trying to spread us out and then find matchups, specific matchup advantages across the board. No, 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 no. We got to go positionless. And he stopped recruiting DBs and linebackers and just started recruiting what I call spread babies, just really good athletes that are going to evolve what they evolve into. And you got, what, the best off-ball linebacker in the Big 12 probably mm-hmm. in the last three or four years in Malcolm Rodriguez, right? That, that's that's how you got it. And in Baylor, same thing. Matt Rose needed a way to set them apart, and he thought, hey, you know what? I'm not going to waste scholarship 
scholarships, number one. So I'm recruiting great athletes that I can move around. He don't work out at DB. Hell, I'm going to put him at wide out. He don't work out at linebacker. I'm going to put him at running back. I recruit all these different types of players. and But on defense, it ended up being like, uh, almost positionless where you're at all these really good guys that can move around the board. And boom, Baylor ended up with the top defense or second best defense in the Big 12. It's, it's different ways to do it, but there's no doubt you're right. Position with football uh, the is the key. player, when you add on to it, Malcolm Rodriguez, the former quarterback, yeah. Ahmad Brooks, the safety was the former quarterback. Like When you get cover skills and a guy that high football IQ, you can trust that. Yep. I don't know why I didn't think of this, but it just it, it, it clicked just now. Remember we were talking, and, and real quick on that point, the, the point that I made with – 707, the proliferation of the spread. You have fewer run-based offenses, so a lot of your former high school quarterbacks that you would recruit to put them in the secondary, mm-hmm. getting high. They see quarter when you play that position. I don't care if you're an option offense, spread offense, whatever. When you're at that position, you understand the game from a completely oh, yeah. different level than everybody else. Totally mm-hmm. agree. You no longer have that luxury. But y'all have watched 707, mm-hmm. 707 tournaments, 707 games. How many positions do you have on the field in seven on seven on defense? You probably got two corners. You got a middle field safety and a linebacker. What are the other guys doing? They don't have positions. Right. Mm-hmm. You covering, and that's all these kids do now. You covering? Are you positionless? <laughs> football is natural to them. Yeah, that's right. their normal. They're spread babies. Yeah, that's all they do. They yep, I remember babies. the they, they seven un- on seven became a whereas, big deal back around when we were in high school. Whereas we came up. Being grilled on, you are a Mike linebacker. Mm-hmm. You are a boundary corner. You are a middle field safety. You are a weak side defensive end. Now kids are being taught the game conceptually mm-hmm. instead of by certain positions, which is why you're seeing the proliferation of positionless football. Yeah, but That's the problem is the coaches it. aren't thinking that way because they grew up the way you're talking yes, about, exactly. the antiquated way. That's, That's the problem. That's a huge, yeah. huge schism. Right? So the problem is, yeah, the kids are ready for it. This is why you know, a lot of coaches got rid of playbooks way back. They say, no, no, the kids are ready for it conceptually. It's the coaches mm-hmm. that are the old, antiquated, old school guys that are holding them back. No, no, you, yeah, I need a like, Mike line Remember Gruden's QB Who's my camp? fullback at? And it's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, you don't even need those pieces. don't even exist anymore. So I think I, you're rounding the money. The problem is, we're starting to see like the the old starting to clash with the new. Yeah, because like five years ago, you had John Gruden on TV demeaning young quarterbacks. You're like, they what do you all mean those you don't know what this yeah. is? And he was like, wait, what do you talk about? You're the one detached from yeah, the money. exactly. Uh, but like, yeah. It was, he, was but, my, he was mocking him because he couldn't repeat the all the different verbiage from his play. And he was like, no, if, that's, that's, a, that's a stupid way to call a play. Like, why are you so, doing why would you do? Why are you working harder, not smarter? Why are you making me remember exactly. all this jargon when it has nothing to do with the actual concepts being executed on the field? Just because it, it, this is this is basically a measuring contest yes. for coaches. They became <laughs> they want to oh no, watch me put a wide the banana in it. I want to put I want to put an eighteen There's word long play. There's a YouTube clip of John Gruden and Chris Sims in a rookie minicamp yeah. so like giving 18, him like his a war and peace long version play of a play. Is essentially, yeah, him buying a real big nice truck. Yeah, right. He's like compensating for something. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Like who cares about that? What what makes the quarterback more effective? So you're 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 one hundred percent right, Jeff. We just have the clash that's happening right now, to, and we'll be over this clash in ten years. It yeah. all goes back to to John L. Smith, man. The players, the kids are working their tails off, and the coaches are screwing it up. It it's up. a dang coaching <laughs> exactly. mistake. Dude, you're totally right about that. But yeah, your seven on seven theory is is money.
I've been calling them spread babies, but I think that's probably where it comes from now. That's Mm -hmm. I don't know why it just clicked for me after all this positionless talk we've had, but it's like the the light bulb. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you're so so right. I remember that that little epiphany mid show. It was weird, like an out of body experience almost. (laughs) Like I was just kind of hovering above myself. (laughs) Seven on seven, dummy. That's where you get the seven. The best ideas come from. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, so yeah, so when we talk about uh, Texas kind of going to this positionless style uh, and kind of cross training guys and everything else. That's great. We talk about the central nervous system. When we talk about PK and how, again, Rod, to kind of get to your point of how short or long the leash may or may not be, I think the ceiling of this defense is, with everything we talked about, I'm at the point where the ceiling of this defense is going to be determined based on whether or not you get O'Shawn Mathis. Because at the end of the day, the better Texas defenses we've seen, he, even the Texas, de- the bad Texas defenses we've seen that could hang their hat on something. Most of those defenses had in common, whether it was Jackson Jeffcoat or Alex Okafor or Charles Amenahu, you had a guy that, man, we might have just been getting our head kicked in all game. But when it comes down to nut cutting time, in the last minute of a ball game, can you bend the edge and go get after the quarterback and make a play that helps us win a ball game? They don't have that guy right now. No. Well, they don't have they don't have one they don't have one player right now that you can throw out there consistently that could win their one on one battle. That is the problem across the board with Texas. Not one player on defense, not one. If you if I put them out against another team, an opposing team's player, whoever it may be at their specific position, whether it's wide receiver, if it's a cornerback, uh, defensive end against a tackle, uh, offensive guard against one of the interior D linemen, I don't trust. Texas players to be able to win more than half of their one-on-one battle. Say, say it was 10 reps. I don't trust any of the Texas players. I wouldn't put money on it. They'd win. I'm talking about these big 12 opponents like uh, athletes. I wouldn't trust them to win five out of those 10. Like if Dave Aranda called Sark right now and said, hey, let's go full pad some O-line, D-line, one-on-ones yep. against the Baylor offensive line. How many Texas D linemen you trust to win their one-on-one battle more oftentimes than not out of 10? Alfred Collins, maybe? Maybe Collins and Murphy other than that. Murphy. That's right. I like him. No, no, no. I like Murphy. He might be one. He's got some dog in him. Yeah, we talked about him. Okay. That's one. And him, I, Collins, I'll throw out there just because he's a freak. And maybe he I can, should. Maybe I can piss him off enough yeah. that he'll go out there and just upset <laughs> He should. He should he be should. a guy. Yeah. So I'll put maybe those two. And we got some more. And I, I haven't seen the, the new ones. Though. I'm talking about the new ones. the guys I've already seen. Well, I haven't seen. Made. I haven't seen Watts, right? I haven't seen Brooks. I haven't seen. Finkley. Finkley. You know what? Anthony Cook. Maybe, 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 because he had a good season last year at nickel. I've said that he had a good season at nickel. And that so just maybe shows I, where but you're I'm at. not, I'm not, I wouldn't put money on it. I'm just supposed to say maybe. The point <laughs> is, my like, goes up really high. Maybe. The point is, like we talked about again, those even some of the bad Texas defenses we've seen, where you had a, you had a, a Malik Jefferson oh, or some, yep. somebody that like, hey, I can, you can depend on that guy. You had somebody the offense had to identify before the snap and go. Uh, we know what that guy. We know what else I is. Okay, we good. Brandon Jones in 2019. <laughs> right? Yeah, you had a guy that's gonna play at the next level. Guys who can win their one-on-one battle consistently, they play in the league. Yeah, because a that's decade what, that's, ago, that's what being a league guy is. You win more. You win more than you lose. Right now, Texas defenses, they defenses, they lose more than they win. Because based on you want the raw, just raw, you know, analysis. That's it. If you don't know anything about football, the defenders when they have one on ones, they're more likely to lose than win. Because a decade ago, if you were to pose that same question, even while Texas was 
down at the time, oh. those players still you would feel a lot more Quandre confident Diggs. against yeah. Baylor. You would yeah. say, oh, yeah, now across the board, Texas going to be winning those one-on-ones. And then now you see where we're at and where the rest of everybody else has yeah. continued to grow or catch up or even pass up with the current rosters of where you're at. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. for me where it starts. The interior D-line, those guys that we feel can win one-on-ones, need to win their share. And then if you get O'Shawn Mathis, you get a guy that's proven in this league he, he can, can do, do that. He can win six, seven out of ten times. And I think, I think whatever whatever the season becomes on defense, that's that's what it is for me. Those, I hear it's more about name, image, and likeness for the young man, so I hope <laughs> that the BMD show up. I heard, I heard that's a big – but listen, let's just be honest here. If Texas does not get O'Shawn Mathis, it's a huge disappointment. you got the special assistant to the head yeah. coach that recruited the guy and coached the guy. All right. If it's about name, image, and likeness, Texas wants to be the name, image, and likeness capital of college sports. All right. BMD, they're doing their part. So I'm not even getting on you guys. Who's, you guys are killing Who's from Maynard? He's from no freaking Maynard. If you don't get this guy, can we? And you start. You walk, you walk on the campus as a starter. You walk, a, you walk on campus probably as the best defensive player. Yep. It's either that or he uh, hates Gary yeah. Patterson. Yeah. He's in the top two or three. Yeah. Like, Dude, if you don't, it, I'm telling you, they don't get him. I'm gonna tear something. I'm gonna throw something. It's either Texas's fault phone, or he hates Gary Patterson. Now that could be it too. <laughs> no, you didn't see the awkward pose they had, the awkward picture they took together where yeah. Gary Patterson's like against the. I know. I, that's what I'm saying. I thought he liked the world of cities. He likes Gary. The, Patterson. Here's, well, then the, that's awesome. There was a there was a point in time to to your overall point, Rod. And I know we got to wrap up, but to your overall point, there was a time in history where maybe Texas losing a recruiting battle to Nebraska wasn't a bad thing. That time is not now. That time no, is not now. now. Oh, no. Oh. That time is not now. That time is not now. Yeah, that's how I, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. But I, I, I'm, I've i heard that things are looking great, so I'm not, yeah, I'm I mean, not spreading I, I, pessimism. It's just, But it's just one of those just until it, until it crosses the finish line. Yeah, you don't know? You don't know? There's that, sli- that, that sliver of hope. It's the day and age of the bag, man, so a bag can be delivered and change a life forever. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, he put a timetable out there. He said, hey, I got a month, got so a month. get on it. About a legal bag, by the way. And it's, bag. It's, it's all These legal. legal bags. It's all legal. And, you know, I think I said this on this show, like name, image, and likeness, that law, all it was, it's like the end of prohibition. Uh, the bootleggers, bootleggers are out of business. We're all going legitimate now. You're right. You're right about that, and the money is flowing in. And Uncle Sam, man, Uncle Sam is right now just saying, go ahead. I'll catch up to him. I'll get my, oh, years. Uncle Sam's going to get his. He always No, does. no, I'm not. No, but I'm saying he hasn't made a law. Uncle Sam has not made a federal law, a nationalized law oh, yeah, about yeah. naming. Like, so it's a state-to-state thing, which means it's the wild freaking West. These, yeah. states, these states made intentional loopholes in gray areas yeah. intentionally so that teams yeah. could circumvent the rules. Like this, they, they basically made a lot of these guys— Allied with the state legislature. No, a lot of them stuff. are changing the laws now. They want yeah. to amend the laws because they made the law before they knew the NCAA— would decide to be laissez-faire and do nothing at all. So they're like, oh, the NCAA is doing nothing? They're letting well, we y'all can make these the- laws even looser, and the federal government don't care? All right, you know, at this point, we don't even make a law. We're just going to have a little right in there and just say, do what you want to do. Yep. <laughs> getting, back to the, getting back to the SMU thing, <laughs> Too much it's been proven. Yeah. Even at the highest political office in a state, college football fandom will make the smartest people do dumb things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, man, they, these laws are loose. They are loose. Yeah, It'd do anything to win if you could. Hey, man. And now you don't even do anything legal, man. If I can help my team win by pa- by getting a law passed, come on now, that's all it is. Okay. Oh no, and and but these laws are passing pretty easily because this is bipartisan stuff. Yeah. 
It's not like a Republican going, man, you know what? This is really going to hurt the country or some Democrat going, you know, this is bad. No, no. everybody's like, no, no, this is good. Let's just give the, give the, the young men and women their money. Uh, and by the way, make sure the state gets theirs. We're getting our peace. Okay, well, then everybody wins. There's not a lot of people are opposed to it, which is also scary. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have a lot of healthy. So what you're saying, Rod, is, is if, you, if you really want Republicans and Democrats to come together, figure out which ones are Longhorn fans, be like, hey, you, you want five and seven to be done? Go ahead and pass this. Yeah, but create these loopholes. The Aggies and Longhorns are making the loss together. Yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> that's what's happening. It's only time that it's you're wild. finding them uh, on point in the same yeah. page together. It's we'll crazy. keep track of Oshawn Mathis. We'll keep track of all the For comings sure. and goings on the Forty Acres, and uh, next week we got a. Spring game to talk about what we're going to be looking for and all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, definitely stay locked in for that. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049, 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.